You happy? I set you a trap a couple weeks ago. Now you're afraid to say anything. I understand. I understand. Outside the box, but inside the lines. So today uh, we continue on our series and we talk about where all this starts, where we're going to start um, releasing our life to really live, I guess, would be one way to put that. Have you ever started something like a diet or a uh, new schedule and all of a sudden things, you know, you did it to feel better, take control of your life so you feel better about your life, and then you started it and things got worse. You ever done that? You start a diet to feel better and you start feeling worse. You like, you started the new year like, I'm totally taking charge of this year, and you ended up fighting with your spouse for a month straight or something like that. So, when we talk about drawing lines in our life that release us from the boxes that we're trapped in, um, a lot of times when you start realizing, oh my goodness, I'm taking responsibility for everybody who's not me, uh, it, it can make life more challenging. Any, anything worthwhile is going to be challenging in the beginning and, and maybe for a long while, you know. And so we need to wrap our heads around that kind of thing, that when I start... Uh, drawn some lines in my life that I can prosper in, that I can grow in, that uh, there, there's, it might be tough at first. I might have some resentment when people, when I realize how people have been using me or controlling me. That happens a lot. Uh, I might have some anger. I might have some issues that need resolved. And so I just want to prepare you for that. So as we enter into today's topic and uh, how we're going to start on this, I, I just want you to remember that things might get worse as you get started trying to take uh, back control of the things you're actually responsible for in your life. And, th- and the next thing I want to say is this. Um, these I'm talking about lines, not walls. And I think that's really important. Uh, a lot of times we, we put up walls in our life. We, we isolate ourselves. And we cut off connection, which we so desperately need. And so I, when we talk about drawing lines that keep us healthy and, and help us take responsibility of the right things, uh, I just want you to remember that we're not building walls to isolate ourselves. We are drawing lines so that we can grow and reach out, so we can concentrate our efforts on the right things. Because the last thing we need is more isolation in our life, okay? Also, I'm just I'm setting this sermon up, so you're like, wow, this will be a fun ride. Oh, yes, it will. <laughs> also, your lines are not enforceable. Your lines are not enforceable. Most people, when they come to draw boundaries in their life, they're really trying to stop someone else from controlling them or to try and limit other people. Well, I, I got bad news for you. That's not actually possible, okay? What is possible is you taking responsibility and control for you. That is all you actually have responsibility for. Uh, We're not trying to find ways to manipulate people into being nice to us or doing things for us. We're actually just talking about good, plain old honesty. You guys ever heard that word, honesty? Very popular in Washington, (laughs) D.C. And in the media. (laughs) Honesty. So what what does that sound like? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's instead of taking a hurt and holding it or an abuse it's you just speak up hey it hurts my feelings when you talk about my weight and i'm i can't control you but i can choose to spend time with people who respect me see that's not so bad it hurts our family when you choose to drink at home we don't get the real you and so i choose to spend time with someone else or we spend choose to spend time with in another place when you do that that's all boundaries are it's about your choices not about somebody else's. Does that, does that help a little bit? 
okay? Because there's some things today that are going to really set you free, but you've got to be careful because with uh, freedom comes responsibility, right? Uh, by the way, I know that's like really un-American today, but everyone likes to scream about their rights, and I think someone needs to be talking about our responsibilities. If you want freedom, you have to be responsible. But that's another sermon for another time, and I just threw that out there, okay? It's, all, it's, it's about speaking up in love versus remaining silent in fear. Does God ever want you living your life in fear? No. No. He never wants you to live in fear. He wants you living in faith. Okay? So, by the way, and I'll just, one more free tag here. <laughs> if you're in a relationship that can't handle the truth in love, your relationship has problems. And you need to work on that relationship. Okay? All right. Now, you say, man, I'm... He needs to get off my case. All right, let's, <laughs> let's get in here and let's look at a passage of Scripture that uh, give us some things to think about. Three thoughts. Uh, before we get into the real meat of this, I want to have three thoughts that are worth having, okay? Finally, dear brothers, 1 Thessalonians 4. And sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. You live in a way that pleases God. Remember that. As we have taught you. You live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, amen, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy, to stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, it may be a little bit challenging at first to see how that connects with drawing lines in our life. But what you need to see is that Paul is pouring himself into people. He's given them responsibility for their own faith and their own Christian walk. He expects them to pass that on and do something with it. And so you see teaching, receiving, living, and encouraging. All these kinds of things that make up what a truly Christian life begins to look like when we are doing it and take responsibility for the right things. So, three ideas worth having. First, this is mine and that is yours. Let's say it together. This is mine and that is yours. Okay? So you're sitting next to somebody. We have actual seats in this church. A lot of churches have those pew chairs that are a chair and a half and you could be sharing a seat. But here, you're probably sitting in your seat, okay? And the person next to you, that's their seat. You guys want to just share seats right quick? Just kind of split them up? Some of you do. Some of you are like, yes, that would be wonderful. And the person next to you is going, this is incredibly awkward. All right. So, no one else can be you. No one else can be you. Paul, uh, Paul, God's Word tells us to love one another, not be one another. Okay? And so no one else can be you. You're the only one that can do that. Paul said, live in a way, you live in a way that pleases God as we taught you. You live this way already. We encourage you. Do that even more. So we are responsible for us. We are the only ones who can be us, and we have responsibility for us. So since Steve started reading the day out of the message, I'll carry that on. It'll be Message Sunday. And here's Galatians 6.4 out of the message. It's pretty cool. Uh, Paul says, translated through the message, be a, 
make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourselves with others. Boy, comparison's a trap, amen? Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can do, you can with your own life, okay? So where's Paul putting the responsibility for your life? On you or someone else? On you, so on me, say on me. Try it again. One, two, three. On good job. That's good. You guys are trained well, trained well. <laughs> Well, here's some more news. Paul says in Romans 14, 12, each of us will give a personal account to God. That's how the new living, a personal account to God. Who's responsible for you? Me. We're, you know, and we spend a lot of our time in life saying, that's not my fault. I didn't do that. These circumstances are beyond my control. You still have to answer for you you got a conversation a breakdown with you and the father one day now that should that really should be a terrifying thought okay <laughs> however i want you to know your father loves you the grace of jesus christ has covered you and he is trying to teach you and is teaching you that you live by faith what does that mean a lot of times the trouble we have in our life is because we simply do not believe god will heal us and so we remain hurt we do not believe God will use us, so we do nothing. So we need to realize that we are responsible to step out on that faith and that God wants us to be holy. And so if you take holy down to his root, he wants us to be whole. Okay, does that make sense? So this is mine, that's yours, we have to think about that. The other thing is, so you are the, you're responsible for you, no one else can be you. Also, you're the only one who knows you, Right? I mean, we try and tell people what we want them to think we are, right? <laughs> Did you get that little ship there <laughs> to catch me? We, we, we try and paint this picture of who we want people to think we are. And the Bible says in Proverbs, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can fully share in its joy. Isn't that an awakening passage? No one else can know you like you know you. In fact, no one else can read your mind. Men, women, in your marriage, no one else can read your mind. And, and to be fair, it's not like you're doing that great job reading your own mind, right? How many of you are like your own brains in your own head? And you say, I still don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing, okay? So you've got to realize no one else can be you. No one else knows you, so you have to take responsibility for you. Your actions, your feelings, your anxiety, your depression, your anger, your finances, your friends. That's a lot of personal responsibility. I know we really need to stop acting like we don't have that responsibility. What's killing us in life is not the fact that we feel powerless to solve our problems. It's the fact that we don't feel responsibility to work on our problems. And so what, that's what this message is about and this whole series is about. It's about taking responsibility for the right things. That's what God wants you to do. That is the power of the gospel. The gospel isn't just to get you into heaven when you die. The gospel is to make and put heaven in you while you're here. Okay? Amen? Amen. How many of you guys would like to live every day in the kingdom rather than on earth? Amen. See? Doesn't that sound better? Everybody's, you guys, I'm sorry, I'm going to take a little rant here. Deal with it. 
I meant uh, this is your yard now. Um, I, it, it just drives me a little crazy that so many Christians today are waiting to go to heaven. Why? First of all, Jesus said eternal life is to know me. Second of all, Father said, come into the holy place. Do you realize how powerful an idea that is? Do you realize that I think it was Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, they went into the holy place uninvited, bringing strange fire in. I don't know what that was, you know, probably mesquite wood or something. And they were trying to bring it in, and God struck them dead. That was the Old Testament, people without the blood of Jesus, without the Holy Spirit in them. That was their access to the holy place. None. You think of Uzziah who reached out to study the ark of God because he thought it was going to fall down and Uzziah had the arrogance to think that he was more holy than the dirt that ark was going to hit? The dirt, that dirt had never disobeyed God. And so, and, so, and so that's the Old Testament view. Now Jesus comes, covers all that in the blood and Father says, hey, come in with confidence. Come in with boldness into the throne room. That's what's available to you today, right now. You're not waiting to die to get it, okay? Do you want that? You gotta take responsibility to start moving these kind of things, all right? So you gotta take responsibility for you. Last idea on this is you got to not take responsibility for what's not you. Now this can be really freeing, but I have a little bit of a, a, a tension at the end of it, so hang on. You're like, what's the tension? Oh, you'll find out. <laughs> I said your actions, your feelings, anxiety, depression, anger, that was your responsibility. Well, the person in the chair next to you, their actions, their feelings, their anxiety, their depression, their anger, their finances, their friends, that's not your responsibility. <laughs> Just go ahead and let it out. <sighs> Seriously, how many of us live in our lives, we don't do and we do things because of, well, I'm afraid people are going to feel this way. Now, just kind of hold me just a second. I'm not saying we need to be jerks and rude. We need to understand to be gentle with people. But at the same time, we also need to understand how people respond to their circumstances is not anything we actually have any control over whatsoever. It's not anything we have responsibility for whatsoever. Think about this. How many times have you done something that was sacrificial on your part for someone else that you thought they would really be excited about, and you did it, and either they didn't notice or they got mad? Has that ever happened to you? So stop trying to expect their feelings and, and stop trying to control their uh, responses to circumstances and realize I just don't have control over that. This will really help you as a parent. I mean, because all children are terrorists, right? <laughs> Say, no, my children are little angels. I, I know some, most of the time they're angels, angelic, and have halos that they throw at you when they get mad. <sighs> But you have to understand, they're, they're, you're responsible for your feelings and actions, and other people are responsible for theirs. Now, that's a freeing thought. However, next thought that's worth having. I'm responsible for me and to you. I'm responsible for me and to you. What does that mean? Thessalonians. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Well, I could really preach a long, uncomfortable message right there, but I'll just stick with where I'm at. This is uncomfortable enough, right? <laughs> then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, 
not in lustful passion like the pagans do, who, like the pagans who do not know God in his ways, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter. We, as Paul lays out for us, we see him in this relationship, the Thessalonians in this relationship, the people that they are sharing with in this relationship. I just want you to see that he gives them a responsibility for, but also to. And to really break it down, I think Galatians 6 will do a better job. Because Galatians says, these two verses I'm going to put side by side, uh, Paul writes, bear one another's burdens, bear one another's burdens, and then he uses another word, I'm using the ESV, it captures the word difference a little better than other translations. Verse 5 says, for each of you have to bear his own load. So when I, what, the way I think I can describe this best is to think of backpacks and boulders. Everybody has their backpack they have to haul. Everyone has their load in life, Okay. You have, you have to work, provide for your family. You, you have to take care of your health. You, you, you have these responsibilities that you can do. But then we also get these crushing weights. And there's a difference in the word that Paul uses. Burdens is a crushing weight. It's too much to bear, and you have to have help. So we all have these boulders in our life that we need help with. What we usually do is we get them inverted. We're usually trying to get people to help us with our backpack, and we try and handle the boulders all by ourselves. We, we do this all the time. I, I do, maybe you don't, but I do this all the time. I'm like, it's too much for anyone to help me, so I'll just do this by myself. I don't want to bother people. You know that's the height of arrogance, right? I mean, it's really proud to live life in such a way that I don't need help. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. All I need is God. Well, God disagrees with you on that. God thinks you need other people around you, or he wouldn't have created this cool thing called the church, all right? And, and other believers and a community of faith. So we need to remember that I'm responsible for my backpack, but I'm also responsible to help you with your boulder. How do I differentiate? This is where we get into problems. You're like, ah, I don't know when to help them. So good advice I got. Limit sin and help needs. Limit sin and help needs. If the need is created by sin, then you need to step out and let the natural consequences of the world that God created do its work. What is its work? To teach us. We have to learn from our consequences, right? Do you, do you, like as a parent, do you get that? Do you let your children go out and try things so that they can experience natural consequences? Because if you're always helicoptering in and saving their life, saving them from the consequences of their actions, they're never going to learn, right? And so you do that for them, even though it kills you. I, I'll never forget, this, this is my story, I'll never forget, 16 years of age, I'm sitting across the table from my dad who is trying to save me from stupidity. You ever do that as a parent? You're like, I'm just, my child's an idiot and I don't want him to be that way. And I'll never forget looking in the eyes of this tough, hardened Marine who fought in Vietnam, and he's in tears across the table from me, begging me to listen to him. And I'm looking at him, this, the, the utter foolishness of youth, saying, Dad, sounding like an adult, in my mind, sounding like an idiot to an adult, Dad, you just got to let me make my own mistakes. Do you know what my dad did in his love for me? He let me make my mistakes. He stepped back. Said, okay. 
I love you. This is literally what he said. I love you. I will always be here for you. But you got this. You're on your own. So that's what, when we come to responsibility, I take responsibility for me, and I'm responsible to you. I limit sin, but I help needs. Hopefully that helps a little bit. Last thought I want to have before we dig into the rest of this. Let the good in and the bad out. Look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 8. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules, they refuse to hear what Paul's saying, refuse to accept his wisdom, uh, is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Can you imagine that? These are Christians. He's writing this. All his letters are written to Christians. He's writing to believers. He's saying, hey, you reject this. You're rejecting the word of God. You're rejecting the Holy Spirit. Now, what you should be doing is you're sitting there thinking like, ah, Christians wouldn't do that. Christians would not reject their father. They would not reject the Holy Spirit. You, you'd want to say that, but in your heart, what you're really saying is, oh, man, I do that all the time. I, I often reject. So last week we talked about it. When we get into a place where we're rejecting the good and accepting the bad, Paul's showing us what that looks like uh, in one way. And so but the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4.23, says, guard your heart. You ever heard that passage? Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Think about what that verse is saying to you. Your heart is going to undergo attacks, man. And we're going to talk about your heart in just a minute and the things that grow out of your heart. And so when we say yes to the bad, we're letting those attacks come into our heart. We're letting those abuses and uses and and misuses come into us. And then we turn around and say no to the good. So Jesus said this in Revelations 3.20. This is a mind-blowing verse. This will mess with your sovereignty theology on a whole new level. Because he says to the church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea. Say the church. Church Church is filled with saved people according to my Bible. Okay? And he says in 3.20, look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. We'll share a meal together as friends. What is Jesus doing on the outside of the door of his own church? See? And so obviously, yes. We can say yes to all the bad in the world in a, in a thousand, ten thousand different ways and turn around and say no to the one thing that's good, God himself, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine Jesus this morning on the heart of your door? Also, what does this say about God and his feeling about your boundaries? Obviously, he's a safe God. He respects them. You don't want me in? I stand at the door. Knock, pound, whatever, but if you don't let me in, we're not going to have dinner together. We're not going to enjoy each other's company. If you really want to dig into God's concern about, or God's thoughts on your boundaries, you can read Hebrews 5, 6, and 12. Hebrews 5, 6, and 12. But I'm not going to go into it today. But if you read it, thought about it, let God open your heart to it, uh, you could really wrap your head around what, where God's at on discipline. So, three thoughts worth having. Uh, I'm not going to repeat them because they're already gone. No, I'm just kidding. They're not. I just my brain jumped to the next place. So let's move into how we actually start. And so this is a whole lot more simple than you think. Okay. So we thought about the fact that we let the good in and keep the bad out. Thought about this is mine and that's yours. Thought about I'm responsible for me and to you. 
Now, let's begin to draw. Where do we start with lines? It's really simple. Jesus laid it out just like this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. This is the beginning of healthy boundaries. Simple God's word right there. Love God. What, what does it take to love God? Well, first of all, we find out in 1 John chapter 4, uh, I think it's verse 10, that if God didn't love us, we wouldn't love him. And so we're talking about love, the love of God and my love for God. We're talking about both of those when we talk about the love of God. We're talking about receiving and expressing that love. And so here the Bible just lays out these four little, uh, not even pieces. Now you've got to understand, even we, we Westerners really like to break things down into points and, and frameworks and all these kind of things. That's not how Jesus thought. That's not how the Hebrews of his day thought. To them, the entire human mind, body, psyche, work, secular, spiritual, all that stuff was all very holistic, very tied together, very integrated. So while I go through this and kind of break this down for our Western minds, understand Jesus did not see you as four pieces of a whole. He just saw you as a whole that needed these parts, that had these, these, not even parts in it, but just had these influences and places in it where things flowed out of. And so Jesus wants love to flow into those places. So the first place he wants love to flow into is your heart. Your heart. What happens in your heart? A lot of things happen in your heart. You might be thinking of feelings. You might be thinking of a lot of things. But I want to start with the idea of beliefs. So there's a quote that was on the opening slide of the movie, The Big Short, that's attributed to Mark Twain, and that's actually a lie. But they did a lot of things in that movie, so it's a movie. But the quote says, it ain't what you know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so, attributed to Mark Twain. Guys, our hearts are filled with beliefs. Where did those beliefs come from? What is a belief? A belief is anything that you accept is true. That's a belief. You accept it as true. You may not know why you accept it as true. Have you ever awakened one day and realized that one of your beliefs was false? And you're like, I believed that my whole life, and now I'm, I'm listless. I don't know what to do. And so our beliefs are like that. Paul says in verse uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 12, listen to this. It says, they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies, and then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. I want you to see that verse because one, it's incredibly sobering, and two, it helps us see that our beliefs are critical. Your eternity depends on your beliefs. Your life depends on your beliefs. Your marriage depends on your beliefs. Your success, your business, everything is driven by what you believe, and nothing is more destructive to your life than a belief that you hold to that is not true. A belief that was formed maybe in a traumatic moment of your life. Now, beliefs give rise to something else. Ready? Feelings. Whoa, feelings. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Well, I could, but I didn't want to. All right, so 
Now, feelings have a bad rap in our world. Ever since the modern age, man, ever since Luther and the printing press and all things, and and the age of reason dawned in the world, then everyone wanted to be like Spock. And that was one of the main themes of the Star Trek TV series and is carried into the movies, is you had uh, Captain Kirk and Spock on the same ship. And you had reason fighting with passion and belief all the time, okay? We would love to think that we are rational beings. But we have to really lie to ourselves to believe that in any way, shape, or form, okay? (laughs) Feelings are important, though. And I I tell you what, Christianity is kind of the, the worst place for feelings. It's something about Christian theology has tried to divorce feelings from faith. And it's that's just stupid. It's not a good thing to do. Because God created feelings. We're supposed to be feel people who feel. We're supposed to be understanding of our own emotions. And I know some of you are just getting really uncomfortable right now. And, and so that's your yard. So deal with it. So sorry, I'm just kidding. I can I, we can I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm just cracking a joke, really. And thanks for being the butt of it. So uh, Galatians 5. Galatians 5, when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit, he, the first three, love, joy, and peace, we often associate with the most powerful feelings we ever have. We're created to be feelings, uh, people with feelings. And our feelings are born out of our beliefs. Remember this. How we feel comes from what we believe. That's why the most passionate arguments are about religion and politics and things like that. Because those are the places we have the deepest anchored feelings, so we have the most passionate discussions. I use the word discussions. I realize that's not what really happens, but I used it. <laughs> feelings can tell you a lot. Feelings can tell you a lot. And if you look at your feelings, if you don't, they shouldn't control us, but they cannot be dismissed. And so if I'm in a relationship with a person, and I'm feeling distrust, anger, something like that toward them, I I can't ignore that. These are real feelings. If I'm in a relationship and I feel love and trust and and comfort and security with him, I can't ignore that. So feelings are not a bad thing. They're just bad when they get taken out of context or used in the wrong way. If we learn to realize what those feelings are pointing toward, we we can use them to really grow in the Lord. So beliefs, feelings, then attitudes. Attitudes. If you have a good attitude, just go ahead and stay silent. (laughs) Everyone has a good attitude. What's an attitude? An attitude is your orientation toward a thing. They're usually formed in our childhood. Our beliefs are often formed in our childhood. And so the problem with attitudes is they can blind us or they can open our eyes. Jesus said this in Matthew 15. He said, why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? Isn't that an interesting question? What was he addressing? He was addressing an attitude of heart that put the traditions of men above the truth and love of God. It was an attitude. And so we have these attitudes. Some of us have a bad attitude towards some things. Maybe you have a bad attitude toward men or women or toward work or toward authority. That's a pretty common one. All you have a bad attitude toward authority. No, I'm just kidding. Why do we have those attitudes? Where do they come from? Well, they start in our beliefs. They work through our feelings. And this is all out of our heart. So God says, love me with all your heart. 
Let all your beliefs be baptized in love of me and for me. Let all those baptized beliefs of me, of God and for God, let them produce those uh, attitudes. Let them produce those other things so that you are, moving, you are loving God from your heart. You start there with your heart, the things I believe and the feelings I have. Then, <clears throat> I'm going to skip that verse because I'm running out of time. All right, so then we love God next with all our soul. Love God with all your heart, then with all your soul. Our soul, what's happening in my soul? We'll start with your desires, the things I desire. Now, James has this really harsh passage. James has a lot of harsh passages. But he says in James 4, 2, he says, You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. By the way, I should throw out there, they weren't actually murdering people in James. They were murdering relationships. That's what he's talking about. You scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. And you want only what will give you pleasure. So I want to make a statement that's going to seem contradictory. But it's true. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, verse 4. He wants to give you desire of your hearts. What's going on in James? What's going on with these desires in James? We live in a world that is just all about satisfy me, right? Think, isn't, it, isn't it? Whatever makes you happy, whatever fills your sail, satisfy yourself. That's the world I live in. How many people have you met that are satisfied? I can't get no. <laughs> we desire things that do not satisfy. We want things that aren't actually our desires. That's what's really going on. We desire things that will make us feel satisfied in the moment. A guy, a person addicted to sex or sexual activity or pornography, they're trying to get an experience, some kind of experience of desire or something. What they really want is love and affection. That's what they really desire is to be loved and to have affection. The workaholics working for that next raise, that next promotion, right? That's what they think they want. That's what they desire. That's what they would say they desire, but that's not what they desire. What they really desire is respect and approval. God says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Not the desire of your to-do list, your goal list, your calendar, but what you really need. The, the, the spouse that comes off as nagging, and, and you, they just want your attention. What they really need is not you to take out the trash or do the thing. What they really need is you to listen and to validate where they're coming from. Those are the real needs. Those are the needs God wants to meet. Now, you're responsible to find out what you really desire. You're responsible to find out what God says are the best desires for you. You're responsible for your desires, is what I'm saying. Got it? It's really quiet. Those desires lead to choices. We all make choices. You guys made a choice to come to church this morning. Thank you. Others made a choice not to, for whatever reason, good or bad. People make choices. Here's the problem with choices. A lot of times, we really um, don't own them. We say, ah, it's not my fault. 
I really had no choice. You ever said that? I, I really didn't have a choice. Hey, dude, you always have a choice. Um, they made me do it. You know who we sound like when we do that? Besides our kids. <laughs> Adam and Eve. Satan shows up in the garden. You want to be God? <laughs> you mean I can have control over everything except the garden that God gave me to control? Sure, sign me up for that. Adam and Eve do it. God shows up in the afternoon for his walk with Adam isn't because that's what God created Adam for as a son of God. He created him for these walks, for this communion. He shows up. Everything's messed up. He knows it's messed up because he's God. Adam, what happened? You're not going to believe this, God, but that woman you gave me, <laughs> you should have kept her. She was not worth the rib, man. <laughs> I'm so sorry, honey, but I could not resist. And I, that's my responsibility. I know that. And all the suffering that's coming later, I understand that too. And down Adam to Eve and Eve to the serpent and on it goes. Passing the buck is what humans do, man. But here's the thing. Until you take responsibility for your choices, you are powerless to do anything. Until you step up to responsibility. It may, you may not have caused it. It may not have anything to do with anything you've ever done. It may be a total accident or a freak circumstance or something completely out of control. It, it doesn't matter what caused it, how you got there. What matters is that you take responsibility for your choices. That's what matters. You do that, your life's going to change in a very powerful and positive way. So those choices, those uh, desires turn into choices, and those choices turn into behaviors. And we're going to conduct our lives based on those behaviors. And we, the life we have today, the life you have right now, the life you have right now is because of the choices and desires and beliefs that you've had until today. Just own it. If you can own it, say amen. 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 Okay? I know it's a hard thing to own. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. One of my favorite things Graham Cook says, he says, if you find yourself in a place of life you don't want to be, have a new thought. Have a new thought. Start a new way of thinking, which leads us into the next thing that Jesus tells us to love him from, and that's from our mind. To love him with our mind. Do you realize that in that mind of yours that you associate with all the feelings and desires and all those kind of things are also your thoughts? Your thoughts. Do you know who's responsible for your thoughts? You already know the answer right now. I know. Every time I say that, you're like, me, it's me, it's, all, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Get the sermon over and out of here. Standing in the need of prayer. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You're responsible for what goes in your head, man. You're responsible for it. What you watch, what you read, conversations you have, the people you let dump their ideas into your ears. You're responsible for all those thoughts, every news broadcast, every documentary. You're responsible for them. I'm not saying shut yourself off from those things. I'm just thinking, realize, take every thought obedient, uh, captive to the obedience of Christ. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, that's not a God thought. Psh, you're out of here. 
It's when we entertain thoughts that are not good for us that get us into trouble. In fact, in Psalm 63, the psalm talks about that every night he would go to sleep praising God and thinking of God's goodness. He went to sleep God-thinking every night. And I think that's a healthy practice. To go to sleep God-thinking. That sounds weird, Michael. Man, God's word, God's music. Things God said to you, conversations with God, prayer, all these things. And so all these God ideas in our heads, we're responsible for that. We're responsible to grow in our knowledge and expand our thoughts. We're responsible. You know, it's not okay to be ignorant. You understand that, right? And we are ignorant. We really need to own that we have a lot of ignorance. If you study and learn your whole life, you're still going to die with a lot of ignorance because of your limits. But we have a responsibility to keep growing and keep learning and keep discovering new thoughts and presenting them to the gospel and presenting them to Christ on those kinds of things. However, not having information has never been a problem for us in the area of opinions, right? We need to clarify distorted thinking. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, hey, you need to get the log out of your eye. He uses this hyperbole of like a literal board sticking out of someone's head before you start dealing with a splinter in a brother's eye. And we, we have a lot of thinking that is distorted in our heads that God wants to come after and transform. So we're responsible for our thoughts because those thoughts become our values. And the most important values is the value of whether or not God is who we please or people. Because if you boil it down, if you boil it down that's really the only choice. Either I live to please God or I live to please people. People. And you may be sitting there going, well, I live to please me. Well, you're people. Mm. <laughs> there you go. So that's a, a value and interest. And the last thing he says is to love God with all your strength. All your strength recognizes the reality that I am a limited being. I can only stay awake so long, and me less than a lot of you, to be honest. I can only think so long. I can only talk so long. I I can only work so long. There's only so much that I can do. And, and we have to realize that when we start talking about drawing lines in our lives, we're just understanding our limits. We're not trying to limit anybody else. You say, well, I have some controllers in my life that I need to limit on. No, you have some controllers in your life that you need to make a choice to be somewhere they're not. Or to honestly say how they're making you feel. It's really boundaries. It's just plain old ordinary honesty rather than just keeping everything tucked away. Because, guys, you can't change people. You can manipulate people. You can persuade people, which is the new term for manipulating people. But you can't change people. And when you do any of those things, they're going to resent you for it. I am responsible for my limits, for my heart. And if, as I love God and fill those limits with Him, I use them better. We're responsible for our resources. That comes out of our strength, our resources and our gifts. Matthew 25, we'll get to it in a later sermon. Jesus gave out talents to some servants. said, hey, well, in his story... He gave, the landowner gave out talents to his servants, said, I'm going away, you got five talents, you got two, you got one. When he came back, the one who had started with five had ten, the one who started with two had four, the one who had one buried it in the ground, did nothing with it. 
That's a very harsh story. We'll get into it in a couple weeks. All I want to grab out of it right now is this. God does not want us to operate in our lives out of fear, and he doesn't want our talents to be used out of fear. Fear is an insult. Fear is an insult to the giver of the gift. It's an insult. And so, giver and sustainer. The, the, the third area of strength is our love. We need to receive and share love. And, and to me, as I talk about boundaries, as we move next week into more of the rules of how they're established and what matters, you have to always remember, this is about love. I'm telling you guys, if you take this the wrong way and you start saying, well, that's it, I'm putting up my walls instead of my lines, no one's going to hurt me, I'm not going to help, I'm not going to serve, this church won't last long. We need people who will step up to the plate and realize that we are responsible for our hearts and to each other and to our children. If I could point back to those kids back there. If you look at it, they get 35, 40, 80, 70 hours a week of Satan attacking everything that you believe in their minds. And, and, and it takes someone who has enough of the love of God poured into their heart, mind, soul, and strength to realize I'm responsible to those kids. I'm responsible to pour into them and give the next generation the same gospel that was given to me. Maybe a better gospel, a gospel that actually applies to every aspect of life rather than just not going to hell. Okay, but uh, that's a Michael opinion, and it was real strong, but uh, that's your yard. <clears throat> we have to work and move out of love. And I just, as I was going through this message, it had this thought, what would it look like if the love of God and love for God inebriated our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What if we were immersed in love of and love for God? What kind of life, what would that look like? I bet it would look a lot like Jesus. Because Jesus came and he taught, he showed it what, was, what life would look like if you didn't live to please anybody from God. Yeah, but it got him killed. And also got him resurrected. Amen. It also founded a gospel that changed the world. I think this kind of love of God for God in our hearts is what founds everything that has to do with lines that produce a godly, holy whole life. That's what I want for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we need you. Our desperation for you knows no bounds. Yet often we fill our lives with desires that do not accommodate that, that one true hunger. Lord, today I pray that you would take these ideas of your the love of God filling our heart and soul, mind, and spirit. And give us a hunger for that. A hunger that allows us, Lord, to move into your grace, to receive from you. That gives us the ability to take responsibility for our desires and our beliefs and our choices and our behaviors. To take responsibility for our limits and know that they must be used for the glory of God. That's, that's what brings us the most joy and the most satisfaction is to use our limits the most intensely for your kingdom.
I pray, Lord, that people have received messages for their own hearts. Maybe someone out there is living in the world every day and they just realize today, I could live in heaven instead of, the, of here. Maybe someone has realized that they do have responsibility over their choices and they need to take that responsibility seriously. And then they'll be free from all the circumstances that they feel boxed in by. Maybe someone has heard that message. Maybe someone has just been set free by the reality that I don't have to control people and I can't control people and that sets me free. Maybe someone is set free by the reality that I can help needs, but I don't have to do things that enable people in unrighteousness. I pray, Lord, that as these many, and there are many more messages the Holy Spirit may have sent out and he could have sent out one that had nothing to do with this message. He certainly is capable. Lord, I pray that you raise up your people. They'll let someone pour into them through prayer, through, through worship. They'll let, at least let this worship team pour into them, and they will raise up heart and mind to Jesus and worship. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way here in us. Lord, love of God in us. Love for God flowing out of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.